Invincibility Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Baker, a financial advisor, money mindset coach, and all-out money guru when it comes to creating the financial future you are after. This is the podcast where we make talking money normal and manifesting into our lives practical. I share with you money mindset tips and tricks as well as practical financial strategies to help you create the financial life and relationship with money that you deserve. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome back to the Sensibility Podcast. I have actually been quiet of late. You may have noticed there's been a few weeks between recordings. And this session, or this show, this episode, for lack of better wording, is actually all about what's been going on and why. So if you get this uh, in real time, you'll probably re- you know start listening to this at the end of March or early April. And it actually has been International Women's Day. Well, it's just come and gone. This year has been a very busy one for me. I have been on a committee with New South Wales Inspire. So Inspire is a community of practice for our industry body for those who are in finance. And We basically got busy late last year in wanting to create a really big event. We wanted to ruffle some feathers. We wanted to make an impact. I think many of us are a bit sick of reading stats and listening to people discuss the issues around our gender wealth gap, the gender pay gap, and the fact that we're not there yet. Gender inequality just hasn't happened. And I don't believe it's about just gender. I just think equality hasn't really happened. So the fact is last year, we were very busy. There were six of us on our our committee and we got a lot of amazing corporate sponsors to put this event together. And we filled the room. It was originally 140 people and we pretty much sold out before we even started promoting. That for me was awesome. It showed that we're really on the right track to getting the message out there that we don't want to actually put an event on that's just simply going to be talking about the problem. We wanted to put an event on that would actually be thought-provoking, motivational, actual fun, and obviously inspirational. So the fact that we sold out the event before we even started promoting was pretty cool. And then we decided, well, we better get a bigger venue. Thankfully, Dockside were able to actually accommodate and give us a bigger room. The room ended up being 170 and that got very uh, full very quickly as well. So pretty much sold out twice. So the last couple of weeks I have been sort of in a bit of a, I guess, overwhelm, for lack of better wording, trying to get this event off and running to an amazing start. And it was, it was pretty amazing. If you see on social media, and I will post them so they're in my feed as well um, on Instagram, that. It was a very fun event and there were some really amazing guests and keynote speakers, one of which I'm going to get on the show soon. The fact is, this year, I got really excited about the actual theme. We're talking the UN theme here. The theme in itself was very controversial because in Australia, we also had another theme pop up, which wasn't the UN theme called Embrace Equity, which is great. But the UN theme was pretty cool. It is cracking the code, innovation for a gender gender equal future. Now, some would read that and go, that's very tech, that's about technology. And the way my mind went was actually, no, this is actually reframing the way we think. This is cracking the code of the mindset. It's actually looking at how we got here and then thinking about if we've been doing the same things over and over, 
we need to start changing these behaviours, these attitudes and have more of an awareness. I also came across this amazing author, Danielle Dobson, who ended up being the keynote speaker at the event, who wrote the book, Breaking the Gender Code. I'm just going to put up this if you are watching this on the YouTube channel. So when reading her book, before I had heard her speak, I was blown away because it's very much along, I guess, in synergy with what I teach as a mindset coach is the fact that how did we get here? And I want you all to think about this in your own situation, your own life, when it comes to maybe some gender bias situations that you see in your workplace or even at work or at home. You may find yourself coming home and washing the dishes or putting away the clothes where your partner doesn't even notice that that's not even being done. Actually, studies show that women do more, I think, I think 75% of the unpaid work in the household than men. Now, that stat did change a little bit and shift during COVID. That was one of the positives is that our partners got to see some of the things that we were doing and there was a bit of a lift your game up buddy kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying we're all designed with the same brushstroke here. We're all very unique and different and we all have our own backstories, but that's the thing. It's the backstory. It's what actually creates this gender bias and this underlying current that creates the society in which we live in. So if we look from a bigger point of view, we look from taking the lens to the, from the now to all the way back to the very early years from the times the hunter and gather, gatherer years, all the way to when kings and queens ruled and religion got involved to the merging and the creation, I shall, you know, for lack of better wording, of this patriotic society in which we're in now. And when you think about those shifts and change and how we become so conditioned that this system that we're living in and we're working in is so normalized, we don't even question it. Why do I have to work nine to five? Why are those the hours? And a lot of people started questioning the nine to five in the office when COVID occurred. The fact is, it's not just about the office hours. It is why do only companies give pay rises when someone asks for it, when women often not even conditioned or educated or, you know, not educated, but uh, suggested that, hey, go and ask for a pay rise. This is not a conversation we have. Most women are very uncomfortable asking for a pay rise. They expect to get the pay rise based on merit, based on the hard work that they do. And when it comes to appraisal, they're not saying, I want to be paid this. They're saying, this is all the work I've done. And often it's like, it's exceptional, but their self-doubt is in there. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to our attitudes. I'm talking us ladies um, and those who sort of relate to that. If you are, you know, it's, again, I want to sometimes say, let's use the term gender fluidly here because some people really relate to that feminine side of just going, I am not that aggressive person to say, hey, I want a pay rise. The gender pay gap for 2022, which was announced last Monday by the Financy Index, which is um, also funded through, I think, well, not funded, but the research is done with Deloitte, stated that we went backwards in 2022. The gender pay gap actually went backwards. That is alarming. It's now 22.8%. In 2023, we're earning less by 22.8%. That's not okay. These statistics are alarming. So what are we going to do about it? And that's what this whole last few weeks has been for me, is just questioning what have we done about it? How did we get here? And what are we going to do about it? So this book that I've been reading, Breaking the Gender Code, does shed some light on that. And not only that, 
Danielle does do a lot of interviews with women of all walks of life and a lot of, um, you know, highly successful corporate figures to understand why there's still this disparity in society. Why these, why do we still have these social norms? Why do we still have this underlying subconscious gender bias that's ruling through our society? And we're screaming out that it's not working. We know it's not working. The gender pay gap is huge. It is alarming that women are retiring with far less than men and that women actually outlive men. So we need to really do this catch-up thing. There's so many ideas that I have and I think that, you know, personally, the government looking at people with a super funds of more than $3 million, which is only about 80,000 people, I feel is a bit of a waste of time. Yep, it's a great way to get some more revenue, but for 80,000 people, is that really worth the amount of time and effort and energy to change policies when we're looking at the big problem being the gender wealth gap could be resolved, a lot of it anyway, with changing how we look at superannuation, more so for women when they're actually during the period of raising their children or or working part-time. Women represent 63% of those working part-time. That's far more. So we, we more women are doing part-time work than men. And most of the reasons why is the flexibility that they can have when they're raising their children. Things around whether you both go back to work or you both maybe consider part-time work to make to share the load with raising children is something that's often not even thought of or looked at. But it should be. When we're looking at our superannuation, no, it's not discussed that maybe our spouse the following financial year could make a lump sum payment towards, you know, your partner's income while they're on maternity maternity leave, which would also create a tax deduction for the household. There's a lot of conversations that are not even being had, which should be and should be made to be normal. We don't actually discuss, well, what happens to my career if I am giving up time for work? When will we be going back to work full time? How are the household chores going to be shared? And also looking within to the organisations which we work in, is there actually a shared role that we could be doing here? Um, Is there flexibility for me to have a family? I know that I was actually in a situation where there was absolutely no flexibility when I had my third child. He was in and out of hospital. I was working part-time in a bank and I was not taking any paid leave. I was having to take time off to take him to and from doctor's appointments and also in and out of hospital at the time. I was kicking my KPI, so I was actually doing really, really well from a career perspective and even won awards. However, I was still pulled aside and was told that this isn't working. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not working? Well, you're taking too much time. Well, hang on a minute. I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah, but it's just not a good look. We think that maybe you should take a year off, just a bit of a sabbatical so you can be with your son. And maybe just, you know, when things sort of cool down and you've got an idea of the direction you want to take your career, come back and we'll, we'll get you back on board and back on track. I honestly was floored. I knew exactly where I was going with my career. There was no question of that. And you could see by just looking at my stats, my KPIs, the fact that I was working really, really hard, in fact, way harder than most of my colleagues to achieve those outcomes. And I was not getting paid when I was not working. And this was not that long ago. So it's something that we all have a responsibility to look at our organizations and say, are we stuck in a system that's not working for our people? 
And we've also got to look within ourselves. Am I stuck? Am I allowing these subconscious biases to keep ruling over me and I don't speak up or I'm doing everything at home and I haven't really worked out a way forward and I'm really frustrated because this is what's going on. And believe me, I can tell you, in interviewing many women, there are a lot out there that are very frustrated because we're working really hard at home and then really hard at work, trying to prove ourselves and also then getting this, you know, getting shattered by even issues like imposter syndrome is all of a sudden, how did I get here? Maybe I don't belong here. And that's a conversation I've had on this podcast with people going, we've been in this modern world now with women in the workforce for nearly 50 years. For that, like when my grandmother was, um, you know, married, she was basically stopped from working. It wasn't, she wasn't allowed to work once she got married. Now that changed not that long after her, you know, she was married. Post-war, everything changed. But our mindset didn't change. The culture didn't change. The attitudes for women in the workforce didn't change. And that gets filtered through even to today's society where we look around and realize that we're still a minority in the boardroom or, um, you know, in, on the floor with our peers and question, do I really belong here? And you might not actually consciously be questioning it, but subconsciously questioning that. So this year's theme, cracking the code, was so important for me. And I hope for others as well. It's like question, question everything. How did we get here? And how do we change it? Let's crack shit open, excuse my language, but let's do that. Let's look at the fact that we are in a situation where we have to work certain hours, that we are still worrying every single day about money. And I'm saying we, I'm, I'm reading an article, not an article, a white paper that um, I was actually interviewed on before it was published. This white paper was written up with NetWealth and the NetWealth organization. And NetWealth is a fintech company that I'm involved with. And it was staggering to read some of these statistics. And I found them fascinating. And I want to share some of these things. When I say women are actually thinking about money daily, I wonder, I'm, you know, who, if we had a room of people who would put their hand up and say, yeah, that sounds like me. Because the fact is that financial success for most women is not just about being, um, like having money or being debt free, but it's actually not being stressed about money, which is a very different outcome to financial success for men. Women worry, actually the statistic here is 53% of women worry daily about money. I don't want my friends, my family members to be worrying about money every single day. And I don't want women to feel like they aren't going to achieve their financial goals, which is another statement that was in this white paper. I don't want women to feel that they are not up to speed with making investment decisions because they lack confidence, especially around financial literacy. Having said that, they also are very keen to learn, which I think is also one of the reasons why years ago I woke up with them at three or four in the morning and went, I have to write this course. I have to do this. I have to create this online financial literacy course, but I want to ensure that there is success on the outcome of learning this stuff because I believe the mechanics of money is quite simple. It's the mindset. How we're going to change as a society, how we're going to see equality is really changing our mindsets. It's looking at all sorts of parts of our lives in our communities, within our culture, within our workplaces, at home, you know, with our children, 
the language in which we speak to them. All of these things we need to question. Is this just being filtered through with subconscious biases and we're just stuck in the motions? Or have we been really considered with our approach? Are we really making change for a better future for our kids, for ourselves, for our financial futures, for helping bridge the gender wealth gap? I really want you to think about that. The gender wealth gap has been considerably wide. It's a gap. I think it states about 40% difference between men and women in their retirement savings. You know, that's a huge number. Women in their 50s are rapidly facing homelessness and financial catastrophe because of these staggering numbers. But on the flip side, this net wealth uh, white paper also brings to light that women will be the face of wealth in the future because we'll be inheriting money from our parents. We will be outliving our spouses if we're in a um, male-female relationship because women do actually, in most cases, outlive their partners. With that consideration, we also got to look at if you're not inheriting money and you don't have the superannuation, you are in a bit of a pickle because you're going to need to rely on the social security system and you may be on the brink of homelessness potentially as in, you know as rate rises occur cost of livings occurring and so is cost of renting if we don't own our own properties there is a lot of things here that we should all be very alarmed about now this isn't very typical of me to be talking about the negative because I'm all Pollyanna normally and I always talk about the silver lining and where we can make change or where we can improve things and look for the lessons and look for the positives and look for the blessings. But I assure you, if we look at these numbers as staggering and as scary as they will be and can be and they in fact are, this should shake people into wanting to make change and asking really, really solid, important, relevant questions to make change happen, to crack this code, to see that we can do things differently, to see that it's okay to be even talking about money. Hey, I'm going to hang out with my girlfriends and I'm all going to ask, have you guys been contributing more to super this year? Do you guys salary sacrifice? Don't need to know about the amounts. And if not, why? Or are you guys focusing on paying down your mortgage right now? What scares you the most about money? Let's make money normal. Let's talk about it regularly and encourage your girlfriends to actually ask for a pay rise. If you're in a workplace, say if you're actually a manager, if you're in an executive team, pull your, you know, pull your teams, male and female, aside and say, show me, show me how you're going. Where's your career heading? And, and what things have you achieved? What things are you proud of? And shut them down if they start thinking about, oh, that, that's okay, that's all right, I could do better. Look at what they've done and encourage them and actually say, you are, kill you know, you are kicking it. I love that um, there are measurements within organizations that we can actually go, yeah, this metric has been measured because they've done this, this, and this. But there are a lot of metrics that aren't being measured that are really important. And sometimes it's great communication skills. Sometimes it's that one person in the office lifting everyone up and keeping them positive when we're all having a crappy time or our clients are hammering us, or if, you know, the financial markets are doing what they've been doing. You know, these metrics should be also measured. 
what you're bringing to the culture of the organization, how you're motivating your teams, how you're making things more pleasant to be, I guess, in, around, to experience. Um, Obviously, I'm not going through any script here because I'm talking from the top of my head, but you can tell that I'm speaking incredibly passionately about some of the conversations I have been having over the last couple of weeks and I have more to go and I have more articles to write and more um, research to read and more books to finish. But I really want people to walk away after this podcast reach out to me, please. Think about some of the things I'm saying. Have a look at the net wealth white paper that I'm going to put in the link. I mean, it's been designed for us advisors, but go past the first few pages and actually go into understanding where women sit from a investment point of view, where they think they feel confident and lack confidence. What worries them? What keeps them up at night? It's really important and, and relate to it. Are you there? Is that you? And think about why. How did you get there? What's important to you? And what does financial success look like for you? I know I'm rattling off a million questions here, but it's really important that you start thinking about this stuff. If you want to improve your finances, the best way forward is start asking your questions, yourself questions. I mean, one of them is how did I get here? Understanding our history is important, but also our, pri- you know, our personal money story. And when, when we're in relationships, again, how did I get here? Where are the patterns? Why is this happening? Why does this keep happening? Why do I find myself in jobs I end up hating? Or why do I find myself in jobs where I'm not remunerated for what I'm worth? Why aren't I charging enough? Why am I scared to charge more? Why am I scared to ask for more? Please, sir, can I have some more? You know, I think we all need to tap into our inner Oliver Twist and ask for more. It might not be a pay rise. It might be more free time, maybe some um, flexibility. It might be more support in the home front. It might be that you need to ask yourself to back off and be kinder to you. Ask for more love for yourself. Money comes in multifacets in our lives. We don't always see it as the linear, well, I don't, I'm trying to say, we shouldn't see it as a linear thing that we see where we just do some work and we get paid for it. Money is all about strategy and actually creating a life for ourselves. So the scarcity mindset is something you need to be aware of. When we see money coming in, we need to look at the lifestyle we want to create, where we spend our time, where we spend our money. It always tells you a story. And if you're not happy with the outcomes you're getting right now, you need to think about how we can change that. What can you do personally? But even socially, if you know that you're being paid less than your male colleagues, then maybe it's time you personally speak up. What have you got to lose? Could it be that you might lose your job? And I'm not encouraging you to end up losing your job, by the way, and I don't want people to lose their jobs. But if that was the case, the worst case scenario is you lose your job. Best case scenario is you get the better one. Best case scenario is you get the higher paid one. Or that maybe someone starts to value you but you're valuing yourself. You're already putting yourself out there and getting a more positive message. I know that I've come in uh, blazing today that there is a lot in this and that the goal for me on this podcast today was to really provoke thought and have you think about where you're at personally, where you are at in your household and your community and how you've been potentially affected by some of these cultural norms. But what little things could you do to change that? And I honestly think that starts with conversation 
and stories. We can always change the way we manage our money. We can always learn new skills. We can always get that second part-time job or we can start looking at how we can invest. We can start doing all sorts of things. Only way forward to change is to start. And if you don't know where to start, ask the questions. I don't put myself out there as one who's very spiritual that goes off and does and then prays, but I say, you know, I, I do in my own way pray. And you know, some people will call this meditating. Others will call it um, prayer, prayer, whatever works for you. But sometimes just sitting on something, a question, and just asking for infinite wisdom, for divine wisdom, and it could just come from within. If you're stuck, I always say ask. The quality of your questions will result in the quality of your life and the outcome. So the good quality questions, and there are no dumb questions. So there's a lot here, and I've jumped all over the place. I will be putting this link in that I'm looking at um, around the net wealth white paper, and I'm sure that net wealth are looking at this going, Amy, we didn't write this for everybody, and this makes, it wasn't, that wasn't the purpose, but I look at data as always little keys to information. And this data, for me, huge amounts of information. They weren't little keys. They were huge insights. And I think if someone could look at some of this data and personally relate, for example, 54% of women look to seek and outsource their investment decisions. They'll either look to families or they look to financial advisors or they look to read up on information. 42% of women feel confident in making decisions about investing activities, whereas 62% of men, of, of men, sorry, feel confident in making decisions about investing activities. That's a big difference, right? 62% are confident with making decisions. That's men. Only 42% are confident being women. I feel engaged in my investments. 56% of men relate to that comment. I feel engaged in my investments, whereas only 40% feel engaged in their investments and 28% for widows. From an advisor point of view, I look at that and go, we've got a lot more work to do when it comes to helping more women invest, make financial decisions, but more so be confident around making decisions, be confident with their financial decisions. And I think a lot of that comes down to financial literacy as well. And really, where do we start, people? We start by talking. We start by having conversations with our girlfriends and our parents and our children and, you know, people that are important to us. Again, you don't have to divulge all the financial numbers, just how you feel about things. Because that might open more conversation and it might get you to a place where you're feeling more comfortable talking about money in ways you've never before. Now, I remember speaking to one of my clients who said she was out walking with all of her friends and they're all sort of in that retirement stage and they were talking about, well, if their partners have died, where, you know, how do they access their, their, you know, their partner's money and what would they be doing? And she called me and go, they all know what's, you know, going on. And I feel like I wouldn't know where to start. And I said, first of all, start by calling me because I'm a financial advisor. But second of all, that shouldn't be the answer. You should know. And that's right. We're going to have a meeting with your partner in the next coming weeks to make sure that you are comfortable with logging in and knowing what 
what's going on and understanding where the will is and what the outcome would be if he, anything happened to him. And these are conversations we should always be having. I spoke with a woman only two weeks ago whose husband passed away a year ago. And she's still in that grieving period. She's still coming through that. She's in that process with the solicitors of probate. And they didn't have an updated will. And there was a lot of uncertainty around all sorts of areas of her life. My job now is to give her guidance and we're going to work through, you know, one thing at a time and unpack little bit by little bit. But the first thing was finding out what was the biggest concern and we tackle the big ones first. Let's deal with the big monsters and get them out of the way. Sometimes they don't actually seem to, you know, be that big, but to the person who is going through that, they are huge monsters. And you might be in conversation with somebody, a friend, colleague, you know, family member, who's inside dying of severe anxiety and stress because they've got they're dealing with their big financial monsters. How do you know about that if you're not having these conversations? How do we know that someone's in a situation where they might be even in a financial coercive relationship where they have to ask for money to go and get you know, the milk? They have to ask for money to go for lunch with their girlfriends and then they're the ones who are sitting there quietly fretting at lunch with their girlfriends terrified to ask, you know, to order any wine or even have a glass of wine or order anything that seems a bit out of the, you know, more expensive on the menu because they're stuck with this situation of if I spend too much, I might get in trouble. Sometimes women are, are unaware that they're in that kind of relationship, that controlling, coercive, abusive relationship until they're, it's almost too late. It's the whole frog in the boiling water or, or as Karen has put it, the lobster in the boiling water. These things can all be prevented if we have conversation. The face of our culture can change. Over time, we've seen that. We've seen that with religion. Stories and communicating can reframe society in which we live in. So start having more conversations because that's how we're going to crack the code. Be aware of how we got here, what subconscious bias has been driving us and being the force behind some of the behaviors we find ourselves playing out that we might be really frustrated with. I know I'm talking out of personal experience. I was in a marriage where, you know, I worked home, I folded the washing, I cooked every meal. I was the one who picked up, dropped off and organized the kids' situation every single day. On the weekends, if my husband was tired, I would pack them up and off we went to any event that we were invited to or to birthday parties, you know, such as birthday parties, or to the park to get them out of his hair. But inside, I was exhausted, I was frustrated, and I was incredibly resentful. And needless to say, that marriage did not last. But I also felt stuck, and I didn't think that it was my place to speak up about that, because that's how I was raised. It's what I thought was normal. That was what I thought was expected. That's what I thought my role was. But yet society also expects us, expects us to also work, provide, and bring money to the family household dynamic as well because this world that we live in now requires two, you know, two people bringing money in most cases in most households. That I, and I am an advisor, so I do see what is required to live, especially if you're in a capital city in Australia. It gets expensive, especially when you've got a mortgage and rates are rising and you've got children in childcare. It doesn't stop. It's relentless. So. We've got this expectation to go and work and then come home and also do all the other domestic chores. 
Now, my cha- my situation changed. Obviously, I became a single parent. I was doing everything then. <laughs> Every second weekend, my boys would go off to their to my ex-husband, to their dads. And I'd get that time. And you know what I did? Nothing when it came to the household. I sometimes worked. Most of the time, I wanted to play hard and just let my hair out and have fun because I was working so hard at work and not at work that I'd just go a bit loopy. Now, bring it forward to now and, you know, I'm remarried. I have a three-year-old. I've got teenage boys. My boys at the moment are with my ex-husband. We co-parent. It's very different now. But I also do that with my in my household and I do speak up now. There's certain things I look around and I, I point out that I'm folding the washing, I'm tidying up, but then I know that my husband's going to go to the supermarket and he sends you all the cookie. And when there is points of frustration now, I speak up. I don't let it boil and boil and boil to the point that I'm going to explode or want to run away, create some level of self-sabotage that's going to implode my marriage. It's a very different approach. And that only came out of experience and me looking back to how I got here. I had to look back to how I was with my previous marriage and my responsibility and my role and how it turned to where it was to where it ended up being. And I want, you know, to always be doing that. I look at where I'm at, where I want to be and where I've come from. And if I'm sort of doing and in the, you know, the motions the same old, same old, and I want to be over there, but I'm here. I need to change those motions, right? And that's what I'm asking you. Look at where you've come from. Be aware and have conversation. I don't want to keep reading these statistics. I don't want to see that we're still at 22% gender pay gap. I do not want to hear that we are still sitting at a 40% gender wealth gap. I do not want to see that, you know, only 42% of women are confident in making financial decisions. Yet 64% are making the household decisions or won't let anyone else make those day-to-day financial decisions. I love these stats. They're so important. But I think we need to start changing. And that is where I'm leaving this podcast today. I would love your feedback. I would love you to reach out to me. There's links in this um, in the show notes here. There's a link to this white paper in the show notes as well. And it's important that you have your voice. Thank you. And if you are loving this, please share the love. Ensure that you have someone else listen to this. I do this out of absolute love and I hope that it is getting received. And if you do feel that there needs to be some feedback that can help me improve this this show, I'd love to hear from you as well. So I'm jumping off my bandwagon today. I will love you and leave you. I hope you are safe, healthy, and facing a wealthier future for yourself. Bye for now, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the love, like, and share all posts. Social links are in the show notes below. Please note that any information shared in this podcast is general in nature and not to be perceived as financial advice. Please seek advice from a licensed financial advisor just like me. We also want to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the traditional custodians of this country we record this podcast in. We recognize their continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorial. 